So, uh, the recording is just about there we go. All right. So th this is your first private call with me, but you've been on the, uh, the Skype, I think it was in the UK, uh, not long ago. And though there's a J in your name, it's not pronounced. So it's the Losha. Alyosha. Yeah. Alyosha. Yeah, okay. All right. I'll, I'll remember it someday. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. As we're beginning to talk, uh, it looks like that you had some Zen experience, and so we can put the Zen practice as examples of correct practice, as well as then in its rigid rigidity of where that is uh, not advisable. And so we'll talk huh. about that kind of thing. So the first thing that I wanted to mention was you probably at least heard of, if not ever seen, what is referred to as a Zen stick. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you ever seen one? A real one? A real Zen state? Yeah, a real Zen stick is a piece of bamboo. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the bent. Uh, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Well, actually, it's got a slit down the middle of about a foot into it. And then and then it's carved out a little bit so that when that edge of the stick hit, it makes a clapping sound with the other side of the uh, the carved out uh, stick. Yeah. And so it makes a quite a loud sound without it having to get hit. So it's not something that a uh, Zen master uses to torture a student. Just a little tap will do you. Okay, and it makes a lot of noise, especially if it's right beside your ear. So the question would be, who is it that the Zen master hits with the Zen stick? That sounds like a Cohen. <laughs> yes. Okay. Who is it that the Zen master hits with the Zen stick? I'm I'm at a loss. All right. He hits the the uh, the guy who does not know that the Zen master is there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so if the student is sitting and the Zen master walks up behind him, he'll notice it and his posture will shift ever so tiny and the Zen master will see that and pass on by. But if he stands uh, behind someone who does not make any movement at all, they're doing either one of two things. They're lost in thought or they're lost in absorption. Ah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And in either case, they're going to get hit to wake them up to come back to the here now. That the just sitting is just sitting here now. It's not just sitting and going off into mental arithmetic or uh, what you would call daydreaming. And also, it's not making the mind dull in the sense that we normally think of as absorption when meditation goes deep. Mm -hmm. But in fact, when I hear about the word deep in meditation, I remember one of the comedians, I think it was Eddie Murphy, who was talking about going deep undercover. How deep undercover can he go? How deep can you go? <laughs> and generally, the answer to that would be you can at least go to rock bottom. But the question is, why would you want to hit rock bottom? Why cannot we be very alert and awake to our dukkha so that we can wake up to those unwholesome thoughts 
very quickly rather than having to go chase them all the way to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that that has partially to do with the translation error because Zen itself doesn't have a lot of translations because they never got to translations in the first place. That there was very little of the Theravada literature that ever made it to Japan. And so uh, what they originally had was only the correct practice. And that over time that a lot of that correct practice has become more rigidified rather than staying a very natural practice. But some of the things like the Zen stick is a reminiscent of the actual teachings. Though I imagine that the new Zen master with the new Zen stick is hitting willy nilly and he doesn't even know whom to hit <laughs> because he wasn't trained properly in waking up and still thinking that going deep or going into absorption, um, being really out of it is the way to go. Now, basically, this word absorption is also used in the sense of um, concentration. Yeah, that's that's what I was, I think, more referring to when I was using right. that. OK, yeah. so this also is not what we're practicing. We're not practicing concentration. What we're doing instead is waking up the mind by adding factors and ingredients to it to make it more whole rather than dividing and cutting it out and throwing out what you would think of as non-essentials. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. there's another way of talking about concentration in the sense of look at what you're doing and focusing on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But most of the people, when they hear concentrate on what you're doing, they think about going deep into some sort of concentration rather than just merely paying attention or staying focused on what we're doing. And also narrowing probably, right? Like when and think narrowing about it down rather yeah. than mm -hmm. widening it up. So what we're going to yeah. be doing from the beginning is working on widening things out rather than shutting them down. Then in fact, uh, the Pali word samati is translated as concentration wrongly because the word samati actually as described in the in the suttas is gathering the factors together and the example that would be used would be a yurt which has a center pole and then a side ridge poles and they all come together at the top to give it strength another example of that would be a tripod that uh, like a camera, there's a point up at the top of that tripod where all three legs go together and they're stable at that point. That's the samati point for the tripod. Another example is uh, uh, an American Indian Native American teepee, mm -hmm. which has the ridge poles and they're all tied up very close to the top on one end and then the legs are spread out around and that gives it tremendous stability is because it's tied off at that samati point. Right, so that's what we mean by samati. It means gathering the factors together. So the gathering of the factors together that we're going to get is listed and that we should then work on gathering these various factors together. They're not concentrate on one, but rather to develop them all as a unit. 
or let us say that we build on one and then another, and then we use those two to help build the third. There's that's the also the way to look at it. And all of this starts with the skills that we're developing through the Eightfold Noble Path, that in fact, when we're practicing the Eightfold Noble Path and putting those factors together, that's what makes Samadhi that you probably heard about in the Eightfold Noble Path mm -hmm. is area uh, Samadhi, which means the mind is organized and unified because it doesn't have any pieces missing. And yet the Western mind thinks that that means that the mind is somehow concentrated rather than flexible. And so my joke is, imagine that you've got a, a, an old style alarm clock with gears and, and um, uh, uh, a, a spring and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And so you take it to the watchmaker and he's going to take it apart and clean it and then fit it carefully back together and then tune it so that it's now in a state of samadhi. It's clean and it functions correctly. But if you take it to somebody who's going to concentrate that clock, he's going to take a sledgehammer to it. <laughs> and he's going to get it very small and tight, but it's not going to function very well. So what would you rather have? Would you rather have a Samati clock that's functioning correctly, or would you rather have a concentrated clock? I see where you're going. <laughs> uh, uh, oh. <laughs> so so right. in, in technical manner then, um, would that mean that maybe you start uh, at the breath uh, at first, but you don't narrow down on the breath, but you then move into the body, into the environment, into the sound, and you kind of mesh it all together and like in, into one one thing where you kind of try to try to perceive it all at the same time? Is that what you're saying? Well, uh, let us say that an opening is an opening and, and that because it's open, it has the availability to deal with whatever's coming from whatever direction. But that does not mean that all things are becoming from all directions all the time. That's the distinction is that we're looking at things one by one as they occur mm -hmm. without getting to the point of uh, looking at one of them when it occurs, and then when it stops and something else occurs, we're still trying to get it. Uh, yeah. mm -hmm. All right. Uh, an example of that would be you probably heard of the uh, the toy or the, uh, the arcade machine of whack-a-mole, where you've got 16 holes and a little thing will come up yeah. that's supposed to back them down. Yeah. Now, one of the ways that you can learn to play the game is by just looking at one hole and if one hole has a mold you can whack that one and if you can get good at that yeah. then you can begin to add others but most people don't do it that way they'll whack any mold that they can see come up right and so that means that it comes almost in a random order or at least in an order that it is um regulated somehow from something within the machine but the point is, is that if we only look at one of the modes, we're going to miss 15 of them. And this is the problem with concentration is that we're missing out on a whole lot of stuff that could be happening, including the Zen master walking up right behind us with his stick. <laughs> and what about um, like two molds coming up at the same time? Like how, 
How would that map well, onto the meditation? The lucky part is, is that we don't have to deal with them instantaneously. When you say the same time, what kind of clock are you using? So, so uh, in practical terms, again, let's say uh, I notice something in the breath, and at the same time, I feel like a, a warmth in my hands or a gladdening in my chest, or something. And, and like I'm that. saying that no, that that's not possible. You'll you'll notice one and then the other very quickly. Okay, and then I the see. Next very quick. So it's 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 actually switching. Mm -hmm. Exactly so correct. It's not a split. You wouldn't say it's a split focus. It just appears to be uh, a split focus. And in reality, I'm, it, it, it appears to be a split focus simply because you're yeah. not watching the splitting and the refocusing that you're doing. I see. Mm -hmm. OK. And one of the ways that you could play with that on the side is, is to pull something up. This is um, an audio. Uh, for instance, someone talking, it doesn't matter what about the Dhamma or the news or whatever, and then go get another uh, um, PDF file or some uh, thing to read. And then listen to the voice and read at the same time. You can't. You go back and yeah. forth from one to the other, and sometimes you'll get stuck on one and forget the other. You can only do one thing at a time. The, the brain is kind of wired like that, mm -hmm. but it's also pretty fast. And so we move from one thing back and forth. So students will say, oh, well, I have uh, uh, I'm able to watch the breath, but I still have background thoughts. No, the thoughts are not in the background. When that thought is there, it's right there in the foreground. But it's only there occasionally. Most of the time is out someplace while we're watching the breath and then thought comes in and then we come back to the breath and then the thought comes in. So that's a much more important uh, way of looking at it is, is that things happen one by one and we're going to be paying attention to them one by one as they occur. That's the actual practice is to start watching what's going on one by one as they occur. So would you say that uh, then with, let's say, a more experienced meditator than the, uh, <clears throat> the, the switches are happening less or there's just less in the mind that comes up? No, that the mind, uh, the one of the skills that will be occurring is the skill of being able to catch things as fast as they're happening. In other words, our sati begins to develop as a skill so that we can see things really quick. So that's the, what you said about uh, seeing the cops before they see you, the police. The, I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. see it, to see, to see the dukkha before it starts grinding in. That's yeah. the speed that we want to work with. And so uh, let's just go back to the point about the Eightfold Noble Path, because that's the whole point of all of this. And that is, is that the Buddha says that when we get four of these factors together as a skill, we incorporate those four things and their, their incorporation becomes the unification of the mind. And that the, uh, this unification mind has both supports and features. And the features of the organized mind is, is that 
Uh, the mind is safe, secure, comfortable, relaxed, and it doesn't want anything. If it doesn't want anything, then it's unlikely to go kill someone to get it. Okay, so that means that a feature of an organized mind is high morality. But most people say, oh, you have to be moral and teach morality and whip everybody into line for morality, and only then can they become enlightened. Which is exactly opposite. No, let's get the mind organized and fit for duty. And then our morality is hunky-dory. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's one of the things that people have backwards with their concept of concentration versus samadhi. So the first thing that we're going to work with is to getting all the factors together. Now, we can look at those factors from the perspective of the mind itself, or we can look at it in the sense of the attributes that contribute that. And so we're going to do both of those today, I hope. So first, go, go so, ahead. Sorry to interject. Uh, so the um, you would say if someone says I'm concentrating on the breath to quiet the mind, that would be ill advised because then you're missing pieces, correct? Uh, I would say that that would be a very sloppy use of the word concentration. Uh -huh. OK. OK. Yeah. Um, that the concentration that we're referring to generally will have the knitting of the brows like somebody's actually working at. Yeah, concentration. Yeah. And this is exactly opposite of that. This is much more learning how to relax rather than how to concentrate or focus or hang on. Okay. So it's too much effort there. Right, exactly. So imagine that the school teacher is hauling the bad uh, little primary kid to the office because he's misbehaved and she's got him by the arm. While he is struggling, he doesn't want to go and he's resisting her, but she is hanging on to his arm. And that and that's the way that most people are concentrating. They're concentrating by hanging on to make sure that they don't let go. It would have been much easier for her to have had an, a conversation or a talk with this boy and getting him ready to go to the office. If that was what the teacher thought was absolutely necessary, she could even talk the kid into going to the office. So that he go on his own and she don't have to drag him there. So all or the parts maybe, uh, are there, yeah. Or maybe even possible that she could solve the problem herself and don't have to take the kid to the office. But the way that she chose to do it was by control, by concentrating, by hanging on to him even when he is struggling to get away. This is how people practice concentration. And so let's look at it from a different perspective. Going back to the Eightfold Noble Path, we have four things to look at. The first one is sati. But sati for what? Sati is to remember <coughs> to look, to remember to investigate, to remember to look at what we're doing, to remember to see the kind of thoughts that we have. So this is what we mean by right view. Noble right view, samadhi, does not mean a viewpoint. It means viewing. It's investigating 
not investigation. An investigation is a pile of paper that's been shoved into some cop's drawer. That's different than the actual investigating. Okay, so that's what we have to look at, that this is not a worldview or an idea or a concept or a conclusion from prior investigations. But rather right noble view is continuing to view without, uh, let us say, uh, taking the easy way out of just relying upon old uh, concepts or conclusions, but rather to really look at what the mind is doing right here, right now. And when do we do that? Whenever we remember to do it. So that's sati. And that sati has various features to it. One is how often do we do it? Another one would be how strong is it? And the third one would be how fast is it? Um, so uh, how often did we do it is a skill to be developed. And this is why we practice anapanasati in, in, in to remember to take a long deep breath and to remember to take a long deep out breath. That doesn't mean that you're a failure when you don't remember to take a long deep breath, but it does uh, have the quality that when you remember to do take a long deep breath, take one. Take a long deep breath as you remember, and by doing that over and over again, it will help develop the skill of sati to remember also to look at what the mind is doing, to remember the breath and to remember the mind and then we look at the breath, we look at the mind. By looking at the breath, we can see that this is a long breath. This is a long in-breath. We look at, to, with it, look at the breathing with the mind and see this is a long out-breath. Then we can begin to make that determination within the mind itself. Is this thought that we have, is this wholesome or not? So if the thought is not wholesome, then we have to take the right effort. So you could say that effort is twofold here. One is to put wholesome thoughts in the mind. You're already enlightened. Don't struggle to get enlightened. You're already enlightened, right? That's the wholesome thought. Um, and then the wholesome uh, uh, effort, the right effort, is to have those kind of wholesome thoughts in the mind, as well as to remember and actually take the effort to take a long deep breath a long deep relaxing breath as opposed to too much struggle a lot of students say oh i've been doing anapanasati and then i get tired well that's because you're working too hard mm -hmm. and it's okay to quit when you're working too hard never mind then later come back and start again yeah, that's what I asked you on the group call, right? When I was said I was kind of or getting bored with it or being like, uh, yeah, and then I kind of get to a point where I'm doing it for a while and then I'm like, hmm, this gets kind of tedious or boring. And then that would be the point where uh, where I do what exactly you would say then? Uh, well, recognize that boredom and tediousness and tiredness and tension have come in. Right. And that would be a hindrance. That would be an unwholesome thought. I am tired. I am bored. Right. So 
one of the things that you could do is you could throw that out. Says, aha, I see that kind of thought and never mind. I'm just going to sit here and enjoy the moment anyway. Another one it could recognize is whatever you got tired and bored with. And in fact, boredom is also restlessness. That when we are bored, we're wanting to go do something else. So let's look at that wanting to go do something else. Suppose you might want to go do that. Doesn't matter. But if you say, well, I'm tired and I'm bored and I want to quit meditation right now, damn it, I'm going to go off and do what I want to do. That's going off with an unwholesome thought. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So coming back to a wholesome thought and say, yeah, this is the time to go do something else. Let me enjoy that too. And so uh, the, the wholesome and the unwholesome is the, the way that we're going to be paying attention to what kind of thoughts they be, because thoughts of boredom are an unwholesome thought. Thoughts of tiredness is an unwholesome thought. Thoughts of, wow, I could go do this too, and never mind that, that would be a much more wholesome thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's usually it's not that. <laughs> usually it's just a very abstract like like how long am i sitting here again like when's the bell gonna go that i put in ah because uh, you're wanting something already yeah and so what we're actually here practicing though is being satisfied and not wanting anything because i mean after all as you probably admit you're quite an expert at wanting things I do admit, yeah. <laughs> okay, if you're an expert at wanting things, then, then the point of practicing wanting the bell to ring in a meditation, what value is that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's like I said, that's uh, usually what happens when I do uh, seated meditation, when I, there I'm a little more agitated for some reason, and when I'm actually lying down, that point usually okay. does not well, come. Let's, let's go into that for some reason. And look at that for a moment, yeah. because boredom is actually a restlessness, which means a dissatisfaction with what's in the moment. And that dissatisfaction almost always has to do with some fear undermine or disappointment. And perhaps disappointment and fear are very closely related here. And so we could look at those feelings also, because the practice that we're practicing here is to gather up a new set of factors using the Eightfold and Noble Path. And we've already talked about right sati, right view, or right investigation, and right effort. Okay, so what we're going to take the effort at is to gladden the mind and brighten the mind. By doing so, we're throwing out the hindrances. By doing so, we're also applying the mind to the wholesome and then continuing with the wholesome. We're actually practicing something that's easy. It's really funny that students get tired and bored when they're actually, uh, in, uh, the instruction is to practice something that's easy and not tiring at all to do. It's quite joyful. So we're already doing something wrong by the time that we've gotten bored with it. All right, we're working too hard. Rather than just enough effort, mm -hmm. To brighten the mind, to gladden the mind, and say, oh, I can handle this. Everything's okay. All right. So by having wholesome thoughts like no place to go and nothing to do 
and everything is all right, and let me just sit here and relax. Those are the kind of thoughts that we've applied and sustained them over and over again, especially for using language like, I feel safe, I feel secure, I feel calm, I feel uh, comfortable. Then by having those kind of thoughts, we actually begin to feel safe and secure and comfortable. And as we begin to feel safe and secure and comfortable, we're adding new jhana factors. The, the jhana factor now of satisfaction, which actually is exactly the opposite of the word dukkha being dissatisfied. So we're actually practicing coming into a state of satisfaction over and over again. A little bit of satisfaction. Because students would say, yeah, I've got satisfaction, just not enough. Well, wait a minute. That's being dissatisfied with, dis with satisfaction. All right. Let's be satisfied with the satisfaction that we do have. Let's talk ourselves into this is actually okay. And so this is the way we begin to practice over and over again to build up that feeling of safety, security, comfort, satisfaction. And then something new begins to build up on its own. And that is what is called confidence that you can, in fact, because right now you're a bit confused. I'm not sure whether I can get myself into a state of satisfaction or not. But after you I mean, practice that, after you keep practicing yeah. it, you'll get the uh, you'll get the point that yeah, I can do this. I can come to a state of satisfaction. I I feel like I it's it's interesting. Like I said, uh, with uh, especially with the lying medita down meditation, I feel there's a point where. After 20 or 30 minutes, I usually enter into like, like this satisfactory state and then I stay in for a while. And then at some point I just drop out of it and then don't kind of get back into it. So yeah. everything arises and passes away. That there is no reason for me or you to fuss at yourself because you got it and then you lost it. But you will, you'll, you'll start pining over, oh, I had it and now I don't have it. Oh, poor me. And that's just more being dissatisfied rather than saying, oh, I was satisfied. If, if I could be satisfied once, I could be satisfied again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's certainly what's uh, been driving my increased interest that I found, or I think that was like a switch that kind of turned where before I was a little bit uh, not so regular with the meditation when I once found that I can get to that point uh, regularly if I just do the practice that got me to invest more more time into it and get more interested in it. But then again, like you said, uh, once you kind of get like the the taste of it, you're like, ah, now I want it. And then oh, once the, okay. there's a little change in there, then you're like, oh, what happened now? Well, a lot of students say things like you did, like it takes a long time, maybe 30, 40 minutes, and then I have it for a little while and then I lose it. Okay, that's what that's the way that we have when we're sitting long periods of time. I would recommend that you sit shorter periods of time, say twenty minutes at the most, because ah, okay. certainly you can make yourself feel really good within twenty minutes. Mm -hmm. You should be able to do it. In fact, uh, a better recommendation would to do it in for fifteen minutes, four or five times a day. Ah, okay, I see. So not go the and other go down extreme. to 10 minutes yeah. and go down to 10 minutes, six, seven, eight times a day. Uh -huh, okay. So having shorter periods of time to sit 
and getting better, quicker results out of it. That would be real progress. Hmm, interesting. So you would say that uh, going like for longer at a time, that would actually be not so beneficial at the moment for me? Actually, the reason that I say that is because, number one, the human attention span is well measured, well known, and sitting long periods of time is beyond a person's attention span. They're naturally going to get tired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're physically tired and yet continuing to work, you're not doing your body any good. You're making it hot for yourself. You're making it hard for yourself. That's what long sitting practice times yeah. do for students. It makes it more difficult for them to get any results at all. So yeah. sitting for an hour, sitting for 45 minutes is uh, like the thing to do to where in fact that's way too much time because the, uh, the mind needs to get in there, get something done and then move on. Mm, okay. To go in, get yourself in a really good mood, and then go off someplace in that good mood. And then later in the day, you come back and get yourself in a really good mood, and then go off in that good mood. This is a much better place to practice than sitting down and getting yourself all balled up and wound up and sitting for a long time, wanting the bell to ring. And it's so actually but, counterproductive in a way. Yeah. So, but when uh, I, I, see, I see that, so when you're making it too hot for yourself, then like you said, the, the practice won't be productive. But if you feel like you get to that point that you were describing with the wholesome thoughts and you staying in there for longer without that feeling of effort coming in, that would be then that would be OK. Like Right. But then what happens is it's going to be over anyway. Yeah. OK, so are you going to push it yourself and say, wait a minute, I haven't put a whole hour yet and I've got to go do more and more and more. I got to go back mm -hmm. and get it or I'm tired now, then in yeah. fact, it's almost always better to leave it at a high note. Yeah, okay, that's that's a good info. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so because if you're leaving it at a high note, it means you're practicing the thing that you want to practice instead of practicing being unsatisfied because you're, you're kind of pushing it. You're stretching your motivation or your concentration too far. Right. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's, that, that resonates certainly. Right. Uh, I'm glad that you understood that uh, leaving on a high note. There's another expression that's used with comedians, stand up comics. Yeah. And there yeah. it is. Leave them laughing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it certainly makes sense. Like I work as uh, I teach movement. Uh, it's kind of my job. And if you if you have someone, you teach them a, a new movement, you want them to perform it relatively well most of the time. Because if if it's too hard for them or too tiring and they only get it like half of the time right, they're basically practicing not getting it right. So exactly. um, you want to keep the I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect, obviously, but you want to keep the quality to be relatively high so that you're actually practicing what you you set out to do. Yeah. Precisely so. OK, yeah, so. so. You can use that example for the mind. So this long sitting time with actually in many cases is competition. How long can you sit? Oh, I can sit two hours. That's it. How long it's, can you sit, Demarado? <laughs> there has been times when uh, doing a retreat with students yeah. that the schedule would be a 45 minute sit and then a 15 minute break and then another 45 minute sit. 
and I would sit right through the whole thing just to encourage the students. But I don't teach that way anymore. In fact, I don't do retreats. I don't even think that there is that much value anymore because it gets the students jealous and sets goals that mm, they can't yeah. match. It's interesting that you say that because um, I, like 10 years ago or a little longer, I was very happy with like, um, like I, that's when I first got into meditation and it was uh, very much a part of my everyday life. And I was very interested and it was really working well for me. Uh, like I, I can really remember like being on my bicycle outside on a summer day and like feeling like meditating, just waiting, waiting at a set of lights and looking at things and being very in the moment. And I got very interested in it. And then I did a retreat, uh, a Guenka retreat. And after that, I was like, okay, now uh, one hour in the morning, one hour in the, in the evening. And it really like, it was too much. It, it, the retreat itself probably was already too much, but afterwards I was, yeah, way too ambitious. Uh, ambitious. And while I probably still got uh, a few good sessions in, a lot of them were yeah not so joyous. And um, yeah, I was doing more than I was probably that was good than was good for me, and that kind of right. got me disillusioned from meditation for a long time, actually. Yeah. So I I can the, see that yeah. the Goenka method will, in fact, uh, put um, a, a student in the position of greed, of wanting, of wanting attainments, of wanting this, that, and the other. Okay. And the practice should be of coming into a state of satisfaction of whatever we've got is good enough. That in fact, wanting jhana is a good reason to not ever have it. That in fact, wanting things that we don't have, like meditative states or whatever, is the classical definition of dukkha itself, wanting things that we do not have. And so what we need to do is change that style from wanting things that we don't have into never mind, I don't need that. What I do have is good enough. And now we're changing it from an attitude of want or dukkha into a state of satisfaction and sukha. So we actually are making a change for the positive intentionally and then taking the benefits of it. To where most ways that people are doing meditation because they're wanting something and they're trying to get it, they don't get it, and so they feel disappointed. Because they're missing this one point, and that is to gladden the mind or to make those unwholesome thoughts, I want it, I want it, I want it, into I don't need it, I'm okay without it, I'm just fine now. And so we continue to make the mind more wholesome over and over and over again until we build up confidence. The Pali word is shada or srata in the uh, Sanskrit. And this is almost always translated into the word faith in English. This is not faith. Faith is almost reserved by the Christians to mean you've got to believe something and take it on faith without actually any evidence at all. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what we're going to be practicing is something that's going to build confidence because we've got good, solid evidence. 
And what is that good solid evidence? That I feel better when I allow myself to have wholesome thoughts. And when I have wholesome thoughts, I feel better. So that confidence begins to grow into I can feel better. I can feel the way that I want to feel. If I can feel the way I want to feel some of the time, then I can improve to where I can feel the way that I want to feel almost any time. There's actually in a sutta, the Buddha states it this way, that no matter how obstructed the mind gets, the student knows that he can clean those obstructions out and come back to reality and see the way that things really are. This is actually in the sutta. And then the next part of that uh, paragraph is, is that this knowledge that I can come out of my hindrances, no matter what's going on, no matter how bad I feel, no matter what situation I've got myself into, if I remember, I can come right out of that. I can take a deep breath, put something else in my mind, and get out of that. And then the Buddha says, this is noble. This is the noble way of looking at it. This is a factor of the path. So one is actually on the path of the Buddha. That statement right there is the whole quality of noble and on the path. It also has the quality that this is not held by ordinary people. That this change actually is a change in your own mentality that you're no longer seeing things from an ordinary position of being a loser or being a victim or uh, being challenged for your winner's position into being noble. I can do this. I can handle it no matter what. That's the way that we get started. That is actually the Sama Sankapa, this part of the Eightfold Noble Path. So we bring these four factors together. Right view, right uh, remembering or right sati, right effort, and then right attitude. The attitude of a winner, the attitude, we've got this wired, the attitude of I can handle anything, the attitude, the Buddha was called this, he was called a lion. This is that lion's attitude, to have the attitude, I can do anything. That's an attitude, okay, and that attitude is the winner's attitude. And that attitude also is um, very wrapped up with the Pali word of pity. So pity and sukha are now in combination, as well as the fact that we're applying the mind and sustaining the mind on the wholesome and keeping the wholesome out. And with the, the feeling good <coughs> and the correct thoughts and the, um, the feeling of uh, championship, and taking the effort to keep coming back to that state over and over and over again, this is what is cursed is is called first jhana. And it is samati because it has the jhana factors together. Then in fact, there's five jhana factors, but I'll add a sixth one because it's actually implied in the Anapanasati Sutta as well as actually pointed out in others. And that is that the body relaxes. So in the Goenka method, the whole idea of body scanning is to find attentions and relax them. But for some reason, Goenka doesn't say to go through the body. He calls about waking it up, but he doesn't say go find attentions and relax them. That if your neck is tense, 
roll it around a bit and get it all loosey-goosey, get it all relaxed. Find out where the tensions are in the body and relax those because that's also something wholesome. Just like we're finding all the tensions in the mind and relaxing that, we're finding all the tensions in the body of relaxing that. And in the process, we're finding all the restlessness and all the tensions in the feelings, the fear, the anxieties, and we begin to relax that too. And as we relax that, we know we can relax it. And so that gives us that feeling of, I can do this again. And so we begin to feel safe and secure and comfortable and relaxed and uh, satisfied and successful. This is the state then the Buddha talks, or actually as Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about, this is the state where the mind is fit for work. Where the mind is free from all of the hindrances and all the, the crap that that we feel up for the task that we feel ready to go we don't have any hindrances what what's the like once you get to what you've just described like let's say first jhana what's what's the work then uh what do you what do you recommend once the body is kind of glad and the mind is kind of glad and you're feeling Work comfortable sustaining that rather than letting it go, rather than letting the mm -hmm. boredom come in. Oh, I'm bored now. I've had about as much of joy as I can stand yep. right now. I'm off yep, to yep. mystery town now, guys. See you later. <laughs> okay. Yep. That's the whole point is being able to get into that state and then learning to sustain it. Yeah. Sustain it with the next breath. And so in your regard, uh, uh, you can go into this state within the first minute. Your job then is to sustain it for nine minutes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, so uh, coming back to the ending on a on a high note, though, like how do you how do you know when the high note is then? Because for me, the way it sometimes goes is like um, I am in in that state and I feel like I I have arrived or that's it's working well. But then the drop can be quite quick, like and it can be then it's not the high note anymore. Oh, that's and if that's I, why we need to learn to sustain this. What yeah, happened that, you, that lost it? What was it that happened in the mind? What was it that you were doing that you didn't see that you were doing? You missed it. Yeah, I see. So mm. looking okay, inside. So that would be a moment of what happened here. Yeah. Why do I not like this anymore? And would you say that is something that you would call insight learning what that is actually i would reserve the word insight yeah. or dukkha insight into the nature of dukkha mm -hmm. because if okay. you can recognize dukkha very quickly then you can avoid it very easily but most likely it, it was dukkha that led to that drop right right an unwholesome yeah. Yeah. thought Okay, so start watching what it is. It's going to pull you out of a good state. So the next time when you come back to meditation, you can come back and recognize that another time so that it doesn't pull you out. And you can say, hey, now I can end my meditation on the high note because I know what the low note is that I played before yep. I left last time. Now I'm going to play a high note and leave. Yeah. I, I asked you this on, I think, Sunday as well. Uh, this is, is really interesting to me because I notice it in a lot of fields that, you know, once you you kind of get 
more into something, then you notice that a lot of people are straining way too hard. Like for me, like with the movement and training stuff, like sometimes people come to me and they think they have to do all this training and they have to, to work really hard all the time. It has to be really uncomfortable for them to achieve anything. And then oftentimes my job oh, is like to say- Oh, like first grade. Yes, everybody does uh, what they do the way that they did first grade. If first grade yeah. was hard for you, then everything is hard for you. Yeah, and it's it's really weird for them then to say that when I tell them like, yeah, it, it's like, make, do it in a way that you can sustain it, that there's still like something left in the tank. You can do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. So it's sustainable. And I, I find it really interesting that, you know, and like you said, also in meditation, that it's such a widespread belief that it has to be hard. Like if I tell people that I spend half an hour in like uh, in a jhana state, like I, I don't tell them that I'm in a jhana state, but I, I'm like, I want to do it this long because it's comfortable. And people are like, um, are you doing it wrong then? Like if it's comfortable, shouldn't it be like hard? It's it's so interesting that uh, it's so backwards on this topic. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, let us say that it can possibly come from the belief that if you cannot do it and you cannot do it easily, then you can at least put on the effort of struggle. Uh, I see. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so, because if I struggle in front of God and still fail, then God's uh, mercy will forgive yes, me. Yes, yes, yes. So, so you're putting at least you're putting on the struggle show to show everyone that you're doing something you might not be doing the, the 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 actual thing, but at least you're showing effort. That's the right. You're showing effort so that you can get forgiven for failing. Ah, uh, it's such a <laughs> that's that's a sad uh, sad display. But yeah, right. If somebody keeps struggling like that, they'll eventually start winning. But the whole point is, is that they could have been winning all along by playing with it rather than struggling with it. Yeah, and, and probably there because... is some value in struggle, but there is a whole lot that more value in learning how to do it without struggling with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, that resonates a lot with me. So thanks, thanks for that point. I think that's uh, that's helpful, and uh, something that I've learned in in other areas. But oftentimes, when you get into something new, you or you kind of intensify uh -huh. your efforts on in in something. You like. Yeah, sure. Like I, it should feel yeah. harder. It should be struggle uh, instead of. Well, if uh, it's valuable, it's got to be worth something. If it's worth something, it should cost something. And yeah, that yeah, cost yeah. Is the struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. it's interesting because I think a lot of people they they are embarrassed to take the easy way, and while We're the easy way. to. Our society does not support that. Look yeah, at the language yeah. that that's built right in. Let me let me give you a few words: job, work, labor, try, hard, difficult. You hear that language? That's the language that we use for our everyday lives, and especially for our employment. Why does employment have to be hard? Labor, work. And we can, our, you know, we can make money and have fun. 
a lot of people say, go find something that you like to do instead of working at a job you don't like to do. The Buddha's got a different perspective of that, and that is whatever you're doing, like that. And if you can't like it, then question why you're doing it. Why do things that you don't like to do? Why don't you do things that you can do and you do like to do and everything that you are doing, you're already doing. So why not like that anyway? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole point. It, well, we're not in supposed to like what we're doing. We're supposed to work at it. We're supposed to uh, labor. We're supposed to show the boss that even though we're not as productive as other people, we're working as hard as we can. Okay, yeah. so often that hard work has to do with avoiding punishment. Mm -hmm. And so, but what's the what's the punishment in uh, in meditation that people are fearing? You think like the the, the disapproval not of like getting, not getting enlightened, right. mm -hmm. which is something that they want. Mm -hmm. Because they feel that you're in a state of deprivation. But if you feel like you've already got everything that you want and need, then you don't need enlightenment. You're satisfied with the way things are. So this is part of the change of attitude that we have. That's a major point is let's come out of being a victim into being a winner that we've got this. I can handle this. Mm-hmm. So the the perceived experience is like, yeah, I can handle this instead of, oh, this is hard and uh, 10 more minutes and I'll have to kind of work through this and mm -hmm. like, like that type of stuff. And instead of being like, this is this is nice. This isn't this is this feels uh -huh. good. If you'll notice, here's something that's very interesting that way. And that is, is that it are it is those people who think meditation is hard are going to make sure that other people think that it's hard too, because then yep. they'll agree with them. And so they have them sit for an hour yeah. and nobody can sit for an hour, not Westerners. Yep. And in fact, here in Thailand, people sit in all kinds of postures on the floor, including I've got a, a, a stepdaughter who, since I've known her since she was 11 years old, she's actually getting close to graduating from university now. And every meal she eats, she eats in the full lotus posture. But she's not the only one. Now, I bet you can't even get into the full lotus posture. Oh, actually, I, I'm actually quite, uh, uh, I can do the splits and, and, and stuff like that. Oh. So I actually, I actually can, but still, like, um, it's, it's not something that and, I do every day. Is, so. And the question, again, is uh, that I'm getting to is the so what? Because, in fact, if you can do the full lotus posture, then other people will be jealous of you wanting to get into the lotus posture because they think that it's some sort of special meditation posture. I, I mean, I like right now, I like lying down meditation better anyway. So, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah. So um, let's, let's go ahead and finish up now. Let's get a little bit of review about that. This is really all about the Buddha's eightfold noble path. Everything that we teach comes into his main teaching of dukkha, dukkha naroda, finding that dukkha, insight into what is dukkha, and coming out of it immediately. 
That's the real practice. That's why we want to wake up to remember so that we can look to see what is dukkha and what is not dukkha right here, right now in front of us in our mind. And then make a change. Right effort to change it from an unwholesome thought into a wholesome thought. And as we do that over and over again, we begin to get the attitude of, hey, I can do this anytime I want to. This is also the process of developing the first jhana, which gets the mind really fit for work. Even hindrances, applying the mind to the wholesome, sustaining it for the wholesome. And then next time when we talk, we'll talk about, well, what do we do with the mind that's wholesome? Because that's yeah. something that is missed out on. What do we do once we get the mind wholesome? I'm curious about that, to hear that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's finish now, and I'm really glad that you called, and and uh, I'd recommend that you call uh, once or twice a week, something like that, and we'll yeah. continue. Thank you very much, Tamarata. That was very helpful. Good. Proceed.